Snappers, everyone has a dream. And my personal Eden would be a place where no one has to run anywhere for any reason. But still, and yes, this is amazing, so buckle up. Our story today takes us to the capital of Eritrea, where a young farm boy is determined to become a medal-winning Olympic runner. Snap Judgment. Some of the fastest runners in the world come from the highlands of East Africa, Kenya, Ethiopia, and Eritrea. Some say it's in their DNA. I'm so tall and I'm so skinny. <laughs> Others say the altitude and terrain builds endurance. Like sometimes muddy, sometimes mountains. And others leave it to sheer determination. I never give up. Even I remember when I was running, I was so tired. But I used to tell myself, like, you have to do it, you have to do it. Just even my, my surface is like burning and burning and burning. All your body and all your ligaments, you feel it. Everything you feel it from your nails. You feel everything, but you have to do it. Techleet Michael's plan to win gold at the Olympics. He started running with Eritrea's fastest athletes when he was 14 years old. The entire country watched him get faster and faster and faster, a young boy heading for international fame. You want more, you push because your body is grown stronger, stronger and stronger. You can't reach your limits. Our body is limitless. And and that's because you had this dream? Yeah, because uh, I had the dream just to win, just to be the winner. His time for 10 kilometers was less than 28 minutes, which gets you to the Olympics. And Techleet was sure that if he had a few more years of training and a proper track, he'd make it below 27. But he was in Eritrea, running on rocks, soil, and mud. It's mud, you know, when we are running, all our body changes to be red because of the mud. And it is hard also to clean our shoes and our clothes because of the red mud, and it's very hard to take it off, you know. Always, or our face and our back is like, you know, a lot of uh, mud, and it's like you change from being black to be reddish black, you know, <laughs> because of the soil, yeah. One time, when he was running a race in front of thousands of people. I was in the first line, and I didn't see the stone. There was a stone because it was, there was no plastic truck at that time in the country. And uh, I put my leg in the stone, and my leg uh, revolved 360 degrees. He broke his ankle on a stone in the middle of a race. I just keep running. You kept running? Yeah, but I can't because the pain is so hard and I can feel it in my body, it's burning completely. And people even hear like the sound in my leg. And I just keep running. And like at last, like I fainted and just... All the people were shocked. Why did you keep running? Because I had a dream. I had a dream. Techleet was so focused on his dream and ran so hard that he burned through a pair of sneakers nearly every month. They were cheap shoes. Techleet says he couldn't find Nikes in Eritrea at the time. 
So when he wasn't training or in school, he did manual labor at a government textile factory for money to buy shoes. One day, after hours of physical labor, he went to collect his cash. He says his supervisor, a government employee, refused to pay him for some reason. And when Teklit demanded payment, the man threatened him. And he told me, you are a son of a bitch and you are talking against the government. And, and he told me, I will show you, and like, the punishment and everything like that, you know? The punishment for speaking against the government in Eritrea can be prison. Teklit had seen dozens of his friends and family captured under the military dictatorship without due process. They disappeared. No one really knew what happened to them. So he backed down and left the factory without payment. One day after practice, his coach called a private meeting with him. He came to me and he told me, he born to run, so don't live running, even other people living running or like hopeless. You're not like that. Don't stop running. Whatever happens, he said, don't stop running. Do you think he like knew that you might get arrested? He knows there is something wrong. He knew that something can happen to us. After practice, he was sitting on a park bench with his dad when the police approached him. They said they'd been watching Teklit and knew he had questioned the government. And I'm just put on the cuff in my hand. The police handcuffed Teklit, put him in a van, and didn't let him say goodbye to anyone in his family. The van pulled into a prison compound on the outskirts of Asmara. And at 17, Teklit was dumped in a dirty, cramped cell with dozens of men. There, he was routinely dragged outside and kicked and beaten for hours on end. Prison is kind of different hell inside the country. Countless people are torturing there. And and what did it look like in the prison? Like uh, China can ask you one power because I, I go back to my trauma. Can you stop? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, yeah, thank you. I will go to the next part. Some cells in Teklit's prison were underground, others made out of metal shipping containers. Reports out of the prison say severe beatings with metal bars are common. Another routine punishment was tying prisoners' arms and legs together and leaving them to hang on trees for hours on a daily basis. Other prisoners had their hands and feet tied behind their backs and were left on their stomachs outside under the hot sun for hours and sometimes even days. And when you were arrested, what was the first thing you thought about? There was like a competition for international cross-country championship. A cross-country championship. Teklit was in the middle of training for his biggest race yet, an international race that could be his ticket to stardom. So while other prisoners adjusted to their new reality, Teklit did jumping jacks and jogged in place. They gave me space, like two or one meter, just to, to jog and just my leg in one place. <laughs> up, down, up, down. The prisoners were cramped and tired. Space was at a premium. But from the day Teklit got to prison, they made space for him to move. Teklit trained until he couldn't. Uh, but my body completely uh, collapsed because I was in a closet door without any clean air, without any like proper food. Uh, my body was completely destroyed. 
Techleet says his stomach was rotting from malnutrition, but he was alive. And most who survive prison are eventually transferred to military detention camps. When he arrived to the massive enclosed military camp along the far western Sawa River, he asked his commanders for time to train. He was given permission to run between 3 and 4 in the morning. He woke up at 2.30 a.m. every day. There was not light at all, and it was dark, so I have to make sure that in the evening I have to clean all the stones because they had no shoes. And how many circles would you run? Oh, sometimes 50, 100, because it's so small. <laughs> like, you feel that you throw all um, the burden from your back. You throw all the burden from your back. And just you become free, you know, you become free. The longer he was detained, the smaller his window for becoming Eritrea's fastest runner grew. Techleet knew escaping the camp was dangerous. One prisoner who was caught escaping was beaten, tied to a corpse, and paraded around the camp. But Techleet remembered his promise to his coach that nothing would stop him from running. So one morning, after nearly a year of jogging in circles inside an enclosed military prison, Techleet decided to escape with another prisoner. That night, he took off his military uniform. And I wear my athletic clothes. Like a t-shirt? Yeah, t-shirt and like uh, a long trouser for the running uh, warm-up. And they have also a plastic sandals. He left all his belongings in his bed, under a sheet. I have only one gallon, five uh, liter gallon for water. And how did yes. you hold it? In my hand. This is the only thing I had with me. The two young men waited for the changing of guards, walked quietly through the rain to the edge of the camp, and jumped a barbed wire fence. Then they sprinted into the darkness. You have this fear, and you have to move fast, and you have to change directions. We had to run fast. So fast, he didn't feel the cold air on his skin or his plastic sandals sloshing against his heels in the rain. Eventually, he slowed down to a steady jog. He says he ended up traveling about 40 kilometers that night. You have to use all your senses to navigate the place because it's dark. Techleet used the stars to find his way. Especially uh, the North Star, and all the time I had... Uh, this uh, star on my head, so I have to follow this star. They found a rocky, wet cave just before sunrise, and they climbed inside it where they hid all day until the sun went down again. We never ate food <laughs> these days. We had no food at all. We finished our water in the first day. We had no water. When they finally crept out of the cave, they saw men walking towards them wearing military uniforms. They were Eritrean soldiers. They asked us both where we are heading. We told them that um, we are heading to Sudan. The soldiers accused them of planning to illegally cross the border and reached for their handcuffs. They told Tekli and his friend they were going to prison. Nope. They were hungry, dehydrated. They looked at the horizon. So we decided to run. And they ran in plastic sandals. The soldiers shot at them. Bullets hit the ground and dust flew up around Techleet's ankles. At that time, I was thinking like, 
not my legs, not my legs. When we return, will Techleap make it out? And can you ever leave your country behind? Snap Judgment. Welcome back to Snap. When last we left our running man, Dick Lee, he was on the border of Eritrea, trying to escape to Sudan, with Eritrean soldiers firing bullets as he sprinted. Bullets hit the ground and dust flew up around Teklit's ankles. At that time, I was thinking like, not my legs, not my legs. I didn't give a shit in my head or <laughs> in my back or whatever, because I was thinking about my dreams still, about running. I just don't hit my legs, because if you hit my legs, my dream is over. Please don't hit my legs. When you see in the movie, a gazelle escaped from a tiger. <laughs> like she is, um, breathes so fast. He breathes so fast. And he didn't think anything about what about her. Just they are thinking like to move so far from them. I, I, even I didn't remember that uh, my legs were on the, uh, the ground. I was thinking like I was flying. I never even like had any experience in the ground. Well, still now I'm thinking like I was flying at the time. Yeah. It took me the entire day, like running, just uh, jogging, running, jogging, running, even just not like slow <laughs> walk, you know. I cover in one day around 100 kilometers. Even I didn't eat for three days at that time. Three days. And then in one day you ran 100 kilometers. Yeah, approximately. Yeah, it is. It is always hard for people to believe this kind of stuff. But if you ask somebody who in the same situation like me, you can say it's normal. <laughs> you know, I was training myself for years to be strong athlete, and also there is kind of survival mood and kind of escaping mode and kind of hope, like, like to see other life, you know? He finally reached a small border town in Sudan, alone. People with swords and robes speaking a foreign language took him into their house. One man fed him milk from a camel. Give me some camel milk. This is my first time to drink camel milk at that time. After a few days of rest, Teklit continued on his journey. He spent a few nights in a refugee camp and then picked up and headed toward the Sudanese capital, Khartoum, working odd jobs along the way. I work um, on restaurants, I work in farmlands, I work in buildings, I, I work in hotels and different things. Just have to work with takes. He traveled for months with just the clothes on his back. No passport, nowhere to sleep. There is times people won't trap you. Um, there is times people won't take your shoes or your clothes or your watch. Everything. 
but Teklit kept moving west. And one hot August day, after several months of travel, he finally reached Khartoum. There was a brand new running track there. He wandered busy streets all morning, asking directions to the track. He walked to the outskirts of the city until he stumbled upon a massive, empty, open-aired stadium. Never saw a plastic truck in my life. Just I was, I was, I was, I was imagining like countless people to cheer on the trombone and like to give you support, and to be with teammates and like with t-shirt and with shoes. That was I was imagining to go back again to the track. Nearly starving in plastic sandals, he ran. Just the dream was in our head, you know. The dream was in our head. What were you thinking when you were running around that track? It gives you hope. Yeah, it gives you hope and it gives you, it reminds you that you are a special person, you are a human being. You are not just a person searching to live or searching to survive, you know. For the first time since he was dumped in prison, Teklit felt like a human again. But he only ran around that track for one hour. When he stepped off the track, he was back to survival mode because the Sudanese government had begun to arrest and deport Eritreans back home. So Teklit had to keep moving, and so did thousands of other Eritreans who had sought safety in Sudan. Teklit talked to Eritrean refugees who said they were heading to Libya, others to Egypt, and some to Israel. I pay smugglers to smuggle me because they had no ID, I had no passport at all. I use cars, uh, boats, and also train till Cairo. And where were you sleeping? In the floor. Like in, in bus stations, in people's homes? No. Just in the, in the desert. <laughs> it's very cold. It's very cold. Yeah, I can't imagine the cold of the uh, desert. He smuggled himself alongside some 20 other young Eritreans and one person from Darfur. Along the journey, the group started feeling like family. There was only one woman in the group. When one of the smugglers made an advance at her, Teklit stood in front of her and warded off the guy. Teklit was the strongest, fastest person in the group and saw himself as a protector. We had two nights um, in the border, in Sinai. The first night was like completely a war, like a war zone, you know. When they saw us, they started to shoot on us, like every direction from the Egyptian um, border guards. Chekli and the other young asylum seekers sprinted through the desert to the border fence. But Teklit didn't run as fast as he could. He wanted to stay a little bit behind the group so he could help push people over the fence if they couldn't do it on their own. Finally, once everyone else was over the first fence, he grabbed the barbed wire and climbed. It's very sharp. You have to catch it. Even you know that your hand is bleeding, but you have no choice. You have to catch it. And how tall is the fence? Oof. Like at least more than four meters, I think. It's more than four meters. Tekli climbed another fence in between the Egyptian and Israeli border and then pulled himself over the Israeli border fence with bloody hands and hurtled his body over it into southern Israel's Negev desert. From there, he said bye to friends and hitched a ride to Tel Aviv. 
Finally, Techleet was safe. He was homeless, but he got a job sweeping floors in a colossal parking deck. There is like long stair, like 10 or more than 10 uh, floors. And I used to run <laughs> in the stairs. During his break, he ran the stairwell, and he ran wherever he could. The streets, agriculture fields, football fields. He began training again for his Olympic dream. Friends signed him up for local races, and one day he was kind of spotted out running by a coach from the Israeli national team. He invited me to uh, his uh, office. It was in Hadarusiev, um, it is an Olympic stadium. Uh, national Stadium, and we had a long chat. He told me you have a great possibility that you can run in a higher stage. You have potential to run at a higher stage, professionally, he said. And he bring me uh, t-shirts, shoes. He bought me, actually, from the team. Techlit's coach brought him brand new Nikes and colorful jerseys. He mentored Techlit and registered him for a medical exam with the rest of the team. Like, what can I say? Like, this was my dream also, from the beginning, to have a manager and to compete competitions and, like, to get his shoes. <laughs> you know, your entire dream became an athlete and you got an opportunity to, uh, for, like, it's not just about the prize or it's not about the money, it's not about the medal, that's the feeling that you're on the ground, you wear your t-shirt and, like, uh, your shoes and your sneakers and things like that. So you feel that you are an athlete, still you are with dream. But standing in the way of Techlit's Olympic dream was the fact that he was a refugee, a man without a country. So to be in that level, you have to have at least travel document, passport. I have none of them. <laughs> um, I don't have any document because I don't have any government that represents me. I'm a stateless person, so I'm out of the system. Out of some 40,000 migrants from Africa, just 10 Eritreans and one Sudanese person have received asylum in Israel since 2009. In a perfect world, if you have talent and someone important notices, the world opens up to you. But without papers, Techlit was stuck. His coach made a final plea because he really wanted Techlit on the team. The idea was a long shot. If Techlit converted to Judaism, he'd have a chance at citizenship. Techlit went to the church to think about the option. Would it even work? Would it be worth it? And um, I went to the church. I was completely broken. And when he stood up and walked down the aisle out of the church, Techlit said no. He was Eritrean. And I said to myself, there is no more running, no more sport. Especially my country is uh, broken by war for four decades. Like, we lost half of our family in a war. Not the government, the country, the country that came through blood and bones. The country that half of my family passed away. So it's not just you go to Olympics and you have like a medal, you come back and you go partying. It's not. When I run, I, I, I knew that I represent my nation to give them hope. That was my dream. I mean, say people say that you have to take every measure to pursue your dream, but not your identity. You know what I mean? 
when I stopped training, that one thing came to my mind, okay, like I have to shift my thinking, not just to cry all the time about it or just cry about the stuff, but to do it in more meaningful things, mm-hmm. but have other vision. Today, Teklit spends most of his time at the Eritrean Women's Community Center in South Tel Aviv, where he helps fellow asylum seekers who are facing deportation. We're going to have a link to the amazing work that he's doing on our website, snapjudgment.org. The original score for that piece was by Leon Morimoto. It was produced by Shana Sheely. that time but you want some more you're not done well i understand here's what you do you get you to the snap judgment podcast now you've got stories for days magic see snap was produced by the team that would never leave please give it up for the uber producer mark ristich bag pack pat masidi miller one more thing anna sussman shana bring tang sheely Joe at the Ready Rosenberg, Liz has a tent, Mac. Renzo has spam, Gorio. Adiza has fire, Egan. Leon has gas, Morimoto. Eliza brought Stack Smith. Nancy, no babies allowed, Lopez. Taylor, where's the map to cot? And Jasmine, you know she has the whiskey, Aguilera. And even though this is not the news, no way is this the news. In fact, you and all your friends could escape the zombie hordes only for you to realize that these people aren't your friends. And you suddenly need meat. And even then, you would still, still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is WNYC. WNYC.